Welcome to the Parker Theology Club podcast, a ministry of Parker Memorial D'Armaville Campus. This broadcast is meant to encourage biblical thought and godly living. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to our Parker Theology Club podcast uh, here, and we're glad that you're hanging out with us today. Uh, my name is Joey. Uh, my friends are here. Y'all say hi and t- tell us your name again. Hey, guys. I'm Will. I am the worship youth pastor here at Parker, D.C. And I'm Kelly, and I'm a deacon, and I just hang out with these guys. And he's a leader time. and musician and singer and businessman. And, business and I'm business Joey. Man. I'm the pastor here at Parker, D.C., and thanks for hanging out with us. Our PTC podcast is a uh, just a venture into rediscovering again the biblical historical uh, view of Christianity, the doctrines of our faith, uh, and really a response to a very loose theological framework that we see in the modern church, especially in the West. Uh, and it's really a plague all over the world at this point. So uh, thank you for joining us today. Normally we have several different segments. Uh, we have a hot topic segment, and then we'll have a main discussion in a minute we'll have. Uh, but let me introduce our hot topic question in our episode today. And this is really uh, something that's really bothered me over the last few days, just been feeling the Holy Spirit's conviction. And so I asked this question not long ago on social media. And here's the question for us to consider. Is it possible that we are trying to preserve our own life at the cost of being obedient, faithful followers of Christ in the world in which we live in. Now, let me give you the framework for that question. Not the preservation of life. I believe in the value of, of life. I think we should preserve life. But the preservation of our own safety and our own health at the cost of being a submissive vessel for God's use and being obedient to the purposes of God in our life. Now, what this is not, let me just kind of framework the question again uh, with a caveat. This is not an attack on those who have not come back to church yet, okay? Although, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of your need to return to church, then praise be to God for that. Um, some may need to stay home still. That's not. This is not the purpose of that. I see a coming uh, tension even more and more so. I don't know about you guys in our culture, where we will have to decide as born-again believers are we willing to die? Are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to be in excruciating trial for the cause of Christ? I don't, I don't know uh, how you guys feel, but I feel like the tension is, is now higher than it has been in my lifetime. And I'm still in my 30s, but not, I'm barely in my 30s, just mm-hmm. for the record. So what are your thoughts, yeah. guys? Well, I'm, you're absolutely right. Uh, to us, has been granted not only to have Christ and live with Christ, but also to suffer for his sake um, and rejoice in that suffering. Suffering suffering becomes joy. It doesn't become a grin and bear it. And those sufferings that that we we talk about here aren't necessarily right now. Beheadings and, mm-hmm. and bullets and things like that that are in other parts of the world in the year 2020. Um, that we, uh, they go to church and they meet together in secret places to not forsake the fellowship not dodging the coronavirus but dodging bullets and and governments and you know what you know what fuels that joy yeah um i I think i can't help but think of james chapter one as you're talking about that uh verse two is count it all joy my brothers when you meet 
trials of various kinds, various kinds right now, <laughs> uh, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, I think James, I mean, he points out here, he takes it a step further than just merely telling you to be obedient. He's saying this is the object, this is the time to be joyful, yeah. right in the middle of the thick of it. You know, it makes me think of a ninety-five-year-old lady. I think that I know that um, is going to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. and um, she's wearing a mask. And she said, "I wouldn't even wear this mask if it, my kids didn't make me wear it. Make me promise to wear it." <laughs> I said, "She should be wearing a mask. We want her to wear yeah. a mask." But when asked, why would you come or why are you coming? And, and you know, you're susceptible. You're 90 years old. Yeah. A couple of things is hers is, it, I mean, she's on borrowed time anyway. So exactly. She, and the other question is, it's, is it not worth the risk to you? Yeah. Is it worth the risk? And it, to her, it's worth it. This is one of the things I mentioned in our staff meeting um, this week is that, uh, is it possible that our our obsession with preserving our own life is actually a litmus test for our eternal security? And what I mean by that is, are we so afraid of dying because we're not convinced that our eternity is secure in Christ? And so, not that I am jumping off a a uh, cliff without a parachute, no. not that I'm jumping out of an airplane saying, whatever, God. <laughs> but uh, to me, it's okay. If I live, praise God, God has a purpose in, in, in my life living for his glory. He has something still for me to do here. But if I, if I should die in a car wreck today, or if I should catch cancer and in three months be gone, or if I catch COVID and I die from COVID, well, that's okay because to live as Christ and to die is gain. I would I would hate it for my family who who might mourn a little bit for me maybe Kim might a little bit, but but my eternity secure. I, I don't have a struggle with death. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think this might be indicative of really how how solid our faith is in in the modern church. Yeah, and and I get I get horrified if I'm gonna be candid. I get horrified at the idea of dying because of some negligence on my part. Because I have a family who would miss me. And that, that horrifies me. I, I, it's hard for me to get over. But this is not one of those things. Mm. Um, if I understand that if something happened here, when I'm not forsaking the fellowship of my fellow believers for the sake of my accountability, for the sake of love, for the sake of unity, to maintain yeah. a curse. Because it, what, it takes three times to develop a habit. Right. And there are some habits right. that have been by default yeah. developed. And, and wow, what a, an, an ingenious plan right. by the devil. And I'm not saying COVID yeah. was the devil's plan. God, he can't do outside anything outside of God's, God's uh, allowance anyway. And this bleeds in more ways than one, into more you know, areas than just one. You know, you know, we were talking about like church, but also this conversation bleeds over to what we think about politics, yeah. what we think about... Really, even social life. movements of our of our day. Um, I think the best question. This is just me. I'm a simple guy. I think the best question for how I operate, not only in this pandemic, but also in any decision of my life or any relationship in my life. Here's the question. I think that helped clarify this for me. What does the gospel require of me? And sometimes the well, in the gospel requires. If if the gospel is a gospel of suffering, I'm not running away from suffering. 
I'm not going to run into a burning fire for the sake of burning fire, but, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to avoid it. I'm not going to try to get out of it in the sense that, I mean, if God has a suffering in my life, he has a purpose for the suffering in my life, you know? And so the gospel is not just the gospel of, of good news that everything is hunky dory. That's false gospel. The gospel is a gospel of suffering. If Jesus suffered for our salvation, our redemption, why would we not suffer in our redemption? That's the question. Why would we also not suffer if we're going to follow Christ? Jesus says that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You know, if they despise me, they, they, they're going to despise you. Why? Because you're my followers. You're my disciples. You are, you are sharing my message with the world. Therefore, as, as he says in John, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. So. That's, that's a perspective I hope that our listeners understand. Again, this is really hard. Everybody fleshes out in different ways. But what does the gospel say to our circumstances? There is not a conversation that we have today regarding politics, or social, health, that the gospel does not speak truth into. What does the gospel require in those moments? I've seen real quick on that. I've, seen, I've talked to some believers that I know who were absolutely believing the exact same thing we're talking about. Now, but when someone got their ear that began to pump it full of secular reasoning, why yeah. not to to go to church or why not to reach out, why not to gather and and for and not forsake the fellowship, I've seen them turn because one of the things we have to do was when we know that there is a principle to stand on, we can't expect there to be some kind of storybook ending in this where people agree with us and they see the light because that's not going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen. So, right. All right. So let's pick up now, um, in our main topic today on the, the, uh, communicable attributes of God and the communicable attributes of God are those attributes that we can better communicate. That's why they're called communicable, um, better communicate into a human understanding. Okay. And you probably use such words and you'll see that, but you'll see how God is the fullness of all of these attributes, the fullness of all of these characteristics. And so, uh, the first one, uh, we're using Wayne Grudem, systematic theology. He breaks into actually five different characteristics or five different categories, excuse me, of attributes. The first one being attributes describing God's being. And his first, uh, of those five are spirituality that God exists as a being that is not made of any matter he has no parts or dimensions is unable to be perceived by our bodily senses and is more excellent than any other kind of existence i mentioned this last episode as we talked about one of the incommunicable attributes uh this the same verse john 4 24 where jesus says to the woman at the well god is spirit and those who worship him must worship him and spirit and truth. So spirituality, again, describing one of the communicable attributes of God. Why don't you guys take the second one? Yeah, so the second one is the invisibility of God. Um, So what this is is God's total essence, all of his spiritual being, will never be able to be seen by us, yet God still shows himself to us through visible created things. Example is uh, you can find this in 1 Timothy 1. Uh, where he writes to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible. There it is. The only God be gl- honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So then, the, uh, did y'all have anything to add? This, this, this just reminds me. Yeah. God's invisibility. Uh, 
just also proves the fact that he's uh, all wise in the sense that he's he, if he's invisible, he's he's seeing everything and it points to his all knowledge. And so, uh, be careful what you say, what you do, because uh, he's present. <laughs> so. Yeah, that leads right into this next one, which yeah. is called which is his knowledge and, and omniscience, which is another way of saying God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Um, I'm going to start calling you um, Dale Webb because you're jumping. To, I was about to say something on Invisible. Oh, go, well, go <laughs> for it. You come back, back. Invisible. They, they kind of <laughs> shout out to Dale Webb. Dale Webb. Thanks, buddy. Let's do life shout out. They kind of not they, listening to any of this. They kind of go <laughs> hand in hand, so you can go back to that one. That's okay. I was going to say on the invisibility of God, uh, not him, him not being able to, well, now you got me on omniscience because now I've flipped over. <laughs> Sorry, uh, you know what? Let's go on. To, yeah, let's go on omniscience because yeah. because I think I was going to take a rabbit trail anyway. That's Sorry all right. about that. Let's let's look at First Corinthians chapter two, verse ten and eleven. This is what <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Paul writes. Okay. okay, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person who's in him? Now listen carefully. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit. Of God, God is all knowing. Okay, so if you're leading a Trinitarian view of God, the Godhead, God is all knowing. So is God the Father is all knowing. God the Son is all knowing, and then the Holy Spirit is also all uh, knowing, and they have knowledge of one another yeah. as well in correlation to each other. And somewhere in the scriptures, remind me if y'all remember, but where it says the Spirit searches, is First mm-hmm. Corinthians. It says yeah. it searches uh, the depths of God. Yeah, um, and not. Okay, should we use this as a time to talk about the son, and yeah. and and what in Philippians two? Yeah, that he emptied himself. That, yeah, absolutely. what does it mean yeah. that he emptied himself? I, I'm gonna when when it, okay. So it says from. Do you have it pulled up? I can, I that he emptied clear. himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. cross. Yes, but before that, it says for this reason. No, go ahead, go ahead, look it up for us, Will. Start uh, if you start it for me, I can finish it. What what what's the verse? Philippians two five. Start with two, five. five. Okay, sorry, I should memorize more scripture. Five. Hey, this is uh, a shout out to start memorize from, scripture. First, first words. <laughs> yeah. First word. So you, said, just, it's, yeah. you said it's two five. Philippians 2 5. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours so, in Christ uh, Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing think, to be grasped, yeah, sure. but humbled himself. Okay, what does it mean that he did not regard even, he existed in the form of God. Let's talk about that first, that yeah. it was the form of God. And there's no way around saying that this was God, that he was God and in the form of God and did not regard equality with thing to with God a thing to be grasped. In that moment in time, which lasted 33 human years, yeah. a moment in a time, when you're talking about a sovereign God, it, it, it was a instance, even though instance has to do with time too. So it's hard to say what that is. He, he did not... He did not get rid of the access to omniscience or omnipotence or omnipresence. He did not get rid of the access. He just chose not to use it. And we see times in here yeah. where he does choose to use it, and he, he credits it to his father. Right. And when he credits it to his father, right. ultimately that is God. That is God. He is God. Yeah. So we'll see times where he refers to my God. Your father and my father, your God and my God, when he's speaking to Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. where he has to return to. When he says, I'm returning to my my God, 
he is meaning the Trinity. So as the son, he's speaking of the Trinity, which he has involvement with. Mm-hmm. So when it says he emptied himself, becoming obedient unto, unto death, even death on a cross, that means he relinquished his access yeah. to those things. I heard one uh, preacher call it the great condescension which yes. I think was a, the, a great way to say the great condescension, the great humility of Christ, that he would uh, humble himself to the form of mankind, the incarnation. The incarnation is often a mistheological doctrine. Uh, we, we run over it because of the, the feel-good Christmas story, but here is God of the universe stepping out of, out of the glory of, of eternality and heaven, becoming like one of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that... How much more condescending to God is that? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the beauty of, uh, again, the omniscience uh, and eternality of God, the triune God. And yeah. So one, let's go on to yeah, go wisdom. Um, the next one of these, uh, describing God's being, is wisdom. And wisdom can be defined by as God always choosing the best goals and the me- best means for those goals. I'm not crazy about that definition by Grudem. I, I mean, Grudem's a lot smarter than I am. But wisdom is not just the knowledge of God, that God has all knowledge, but he also has the application of that knowledge for his best purposes. That's the wisdom of God. I think of Job chapter 12, verse 13, uh, which says, With God are, are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. I would, I would add, not that I'd add scripture, but let me clarify that. He has not just counsel and understanding. He has full counsel and full understanding. That's, that's God in the sense of his wisdom attribute. Yeah, I also think in Job, I, I also think of Job chapter 38, you know, the, the the part where God is speaking back to Job saying, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Mm. Tell me if you have understanding. Yeah. So there's, this, there's this big liturgy of God saying, "How you're questioning my wisdom. You know, uh, you know what they call that? It's called a theological slap in the face. Yeah, <laughs> it's called a butt-whooping right there. Yeah. So, number last there. What do y'all take the last one there on those those uh, of being? The truthfulness or the faithfulness of God. What does it mean that God is faithful? Mm. It means that even when we're not faithful, He's faithful. God is the true God, and that all His knowledge and words are both true and the final standard of truth. And, and Landon's definition on this says, even when we are not faithful, mm-hmm. um, I think that is yeah. his faithfulness, his truthfulness yeah. doesn't doesn't matter if we're faithful or if we believe him. It is if I can stand it. You've heard the old adage: I can stand in the road and not believe in Mack trucks all day. Yeah, but guess what? One's going to ultimately hit you. I'll be a grease stain on the highway before the day's over. This attribute alone should lead us to worship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just think about it. Our life, how many times we've been unfaithful, yet God, his immutability, he's unchanging. He's also been faithful mm-hmm. in that. So. All right, so our next set of uh, these different um, categories is God's moral attributes. We can kind of quickly run through these. I think these are kind of, some of these are self-explanatory, although some need some more fleshing out. Let me preface these real quick. These are the ones that Christ on earth, when he became and emptied himself, he did not empty himself of these. Absolutely. Absolutely. So number one is God's goodness. Uh, God is the final standard of good, and that all that God is and does is worthy of approval. 
okay? Mm-hmm. That God, I know this is so cliche, that God is good all the time. and All the time, God is good, right? Uh, <laughs> Psalm 106 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, or give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Not that He just does good. He is That's good, good. Mm-hmm. all right? That's good for decision. His steadfast love endures forever. So God's goodness is the first one. Yeah, in, in His case, goodness is not... Like for us, when we say that we have done good, that is like something that we have have done. We can never say honestly of ourselves that we are good. Right. Even the Christian that have that has been saved, right. we can't say that we're good. All all of the goodness that may be attributed to us is in Christ, yeah. because we are in in Him a new creation. But we boast in Christ and yeah. Christ alone. Yeah, yeah, but He in in and of Himself is goodness is true full goodness which is remarkable psalm uh 34 8 says taste and see that the lord is good Mm. what it doesn't say is test and see that the lord is good because testing is is not because you know so many people well let me see if i think god let me let me put let me give him a litmus test to see if it's good and they begin to judge god based on what they believe is good and in judging god on based what they on what they believe is good they flip the script and now just like romans 1 says start start looking at the creature rather than the creator right. to judge good when the creator is not just good he is the standard of good, absolutely. So we can't test; we have to taste yeah. and see that the oh, Lord is good. good, and that's good. All right. The next one uh, of those moral attributes is, uh, which we've already really kind of referenced this earlier uh, or in last episode, is that love aspect of God. That God eternally gives of Himself to others, and that originates with His love for the Triune God Himself. That God the Father was loving Son in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, right? And so, um, I think of 1 John chapter 4. I love this description. This is one of those things we have a hard time understanding, but I don't think we should. 1 John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, not just the emotion now, not just the emotion of love. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. His very nature is love. As God the Father... His very nature is love. Loving the Son, loving the Spirit, and loving all of His creation. So God is love. Mm-hmm. Pick up the next one. Cool. The next one's uh, God's mercy. And His love's not reckless, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a good distinction, for sure. It's very... It's, it's very. Uh, we can open up a can asking. there. <laughs> we can open up a can there. Now it may. Yeah. I, I think in that song, let's give. Yeah. Let, let's. They're thinking through the, the prospect doubt. of the prodigal son. Yeah, and the and the prospect of it seems reckless. Let's go with that. Yeah, it seems that, that way. Um, but but God's love is yeah. premeditated and calculated and and intentional. Yes, everything he does with his that's right. in his love and is it's, intentional. It's not teddy bears and hearts and roses all the yeah, time. Yeah, and that so. that whole song, I'll just say it. We, we all know we're talking about that song right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, it. It's still stemming off of kind of the the Todd White thing that we we're talking about last week, where basically we had some inherent worth in yes. us yeah. that God was chasing down. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. It's not true. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the next one. Who's doing that one? Mercy? Yes, do, do that one. Mercy. Okay. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Now, now Wayne Grudem <laughs> uh, lumped mercy, grace, 
and God's patience together here. That's kind really of general, hard for me. general, yeah, description here. So you'll see this in his definition: mercy, grace, and patience as an att- as a single attribute. Yeah, so He's, that's a divisible attribute, attribute, but of the same line, I think that's what Wayne Grudem was trying to accomplish. Okay. Three separate attributes or specific attributes of God's goodness: mercy toward those in misery, distress. Or distress, grace toward those who deserve only punishment, and patience in withholding that punishment toward the sinner. Um, mm. So, so that's lumped into one attribute. Which, yeah. which all of these are, if you if you wanted to say it, it's a different side of the same triangle. Absolutely. And seeing these things because, right. well, I don't even know what that mercy and grace. You would say as when grace is defined this way, mercy and grace are two, <clears throat> are two different sides of the coin. Because if if, if I'm getting what I deserve and not getting what I do deserve, I mean, those things are symbiotic in, in their relationship. But the, and the, the patience of God is, the, is whatever is between those coins that holds it together. And that's the reason. He, I, guess, I guess the patience could be... Patience, patience is what holds that coin together. It could be the flip of the coin. Yeah. But nothing is... I, I stopped myself there because nothing's a chance with God. I don't want to say that. Um, I I would rather define mercy and grace separately no. if I was, de- yeah, defining those as attributes. Yeah. I think he's making the the point that these mercy, grace, and patience is specifically towards, um, whatever we're lacking in. Yeah, <laughs> if, the, if like that's, it's sort of like, um, it is part of who he is, of course, but it's also in relation to. Uh, as a response so to, much to our, us. yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. But it's also in response to our uh, inadequacies. That does not make God yeah. continue upon us, though. So just no, no, it doesn't. No. Yeah. Uh, so let me pick up the next. I want the next one, please. Yes. Uh, this is one of my favorite attributes of God. Uh, that's holiness. By the way, this is the attribute most declared in heaven. When you read the text of heaven, over and over and over again, declares of God, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. And, and Grudem defines this way as God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. That God is completely separate from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. Uh, psalm 24, verse 3. Beautiful psalm. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? His separate, uh, otherly place is perfected mm-hmm. in his own honor and own glory. That is holiness. So... Uh, this is often a word thrown around in church, but we don't understand the separateness of the word holy. Mm-hmm. We, we, we uh, tend to think of holy as a word in relation to sin only. And yes, it's in relationship to sin, but it, it shows the gap. Holiness shows the gap between God and His creation. Yeah. That's holiness. I think the, the tabernacle picture that we see in the Old Testament is a great, uh, obviously a God-ordained yeah. um What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Kind of a precursor to, yeah, to Christ, to Christ, and yeah. also like it also shows His holiness as part of yeah, the, to the, yeah. the most holy place, the most yeah. holy, the holy yeah. of holies, the most holy place, and why He like required very specific sacrifices, yeah, and like is this is to d- demonstrate His holiness, yeah. um, where He is so set apart from us that, um, yeah, and you cannot draw near to God without repenting of your sin yeah. you can't you can't and, and that's a daily repentance yeah and um, well now we need a we need a mediator uh, first like oh for oh, sure yeah yeah, yeah yeah i knew you implied I, that I mean, yeah i mean in the christian walk but yeah for sure yeah from from a from a lost perspective 
there is no hope. We cannot. Our, our righteousness is filthy rags. Yeah. There will not. But with, within the within confines the of the relationship, yeah. we, where we are in the sanctification process, mm-hmm. there is a willful... It's only by the grace of God, because I define the grace of God um, as God giving me the strength and the desire to obey Him. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It talks about in Philippians 2, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work within you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Yeah. That's grace to me, and to do that, to use that grace to draw God, and He has to give me the grace to draw to Him in holiness, just like not only the work of salvation is from him, mm-hmm. but the work of sanctification is from him too. That's right. Yeah. But but that doesn't leave make we're we're accountable for it though. Yeah. We're one hundred percent accountable for it though. Yeah. Uh, we're just not credited with it. Yeah. Um, uh, peace, order, uh, in God's being, and in His actions, He is separate from all confusion and yeah. disorder. Yet He is continually active. In a numerable, well-ordered, fully controlled, simultaneous actions. Isn't that fun and philosophical yeah, there? Yes, absolutely. Um, and and, and the, you can't hate philosophy. You really can't hate philosophy and study the attributes of God. You have to embrace philosophy. There's only And God's given us. And philosophy means the love of wisdom. Yeah. So as long as that Another Sophie could- in there... That Sophie meaning wisdom, as long as that's God's wisdom yeah. and biblical wisdom. From a foundation of biblical hermeneutics first. The, that's yeah. right. The lens yeah. of scripture. Another way you could good. say it is is uh, you have to use, like, the, it's the search for logic. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. yeah. Trying to trying to, trying to to say the if then, a conditional argument. Yeah. Saying right. if this, then this. And that, and, and we, but we, what we have to do is sometimes we won't know. Yeah. That answer. And these are some that we can, but understanding God's peace has to, uh, one of the things I think about, his peace is not what we consider peace. Right. His peace is a spiritual peace. Right. It is a peace that we will ultimately be consumed with in heaven. <laughs> Yeah. In glory with him, and that's when we'll know true peace. But we also know that when the angels came to to tell the shepherds that Jesus was born and the Messiah was here, they ended with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Does that mean that there is peace on earth? No. Does that mean we should pray for world peace? Absolutely not. That is actually a heretical prayer. Uh, Jesus says, "I came not to bring bring peace, right. but the sword." And right. and what that means is, if the anything, world consumed by sin, world peace will feed into the hands of the Antichrist. Absolutely, so. absolutely, it will. <laughs> and that's what that's what's being prayed for, not, not only by lost people or yeah. lost, but pray, prayed for by Christians ignorantly sometimes. Mm-hmm. And to understand what they meant by that is that now God has come to earth, and God is peace. Right. There is access to spiritual right. peace for us now. Right. They're, and they're looking past the Antichrist, looking at the millennial reign. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, I was going <laughs> to... Well, no. Because no, what I think they're saying is that access to peace and ultimately peace is on earth. And w- so what are they saying? That Jesus is here, therefore peace is here. And your access to peace is here. Uh, and he says, glory to God, the peace on earth among men who, with whom his favor rests. Right. That was what he was saying. Because there will never be peace on earth. And that leads us back to saying, "Will there be? Are we supposed to supposed to expect perfect peace in our environment? No. In America? No. And it, so, so should there be a utopic 
no. company. No, no, that's because of yeah sin nature. Sin. Original yeah. sins. So the next one being righteousness or the justice of God. That God always acts in accordance with what is right and his, himself the final standard of what is right. Uh, consider De- Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. Not uh, Dwayne Rock Johnson, the rock, capital R being God. Work is perfect, sorry, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without in- in- iniquity, excuse me, just and, uh, just and upright is he. So that is the righteousness of justice of God. It's got to be quick through these uh, next couple because we have a lot still left to do in this episode. The next one would be the jealousy of God, often misunderstood, by the way. Jealousy is viewed typically in a sinful way, but God's jealousy is different because he is so much higher. There's no one else, in a, in a sense, compared to. Yeah. Jealousy is that God continually seeks to protect his own honor. Uh, mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 4.24, I love this verse. For, our, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. He is zealous about his own glory. He will not share it. He will not share his honor. God is 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 jealous, and uh, for His own glory. Yeah, and He He alone reserves the right to be jealous. Right, exactly. Um, and no one else has the right to be jealous right. about that about seeking their own glory. So jealousy is one of those attributes that for God it is virtuous, and for man it is sinful. Absolutely, right. that's right. Um, we are to be zealous for God's glory, uh, but we are not to be jealous of our own. And and jealousy is is a sin yep. for us. Yeah. And and even this is what First Corinthians thirteen when it talks the love chapter is what it's called. And when it goes through love is patient, it's kind. It is not jealous, which makes me know that this is not God's love we're talking about. This is what He commands of His love amongst amongst believers. Right. That that we hope because God doesn't hope all things, believe all things. He knows all things. Right. <laughs> So, and those are the things that are commanded in First Corinthians thirteen. Absolutely. Here's one uh, that often is missed in the modern church, feel good, palatable gospel. And it's ironically hated. Oh yes, <laughs> and that's the wrath of God, the attribute yeah. of the wrath of God. That God intensely—I cannot overstate that word—intensely hates sin. And by the way, if you're a born-again believer, a disciple of Christ, you should also intensely hate sin. You should intensely hate your sin. Um, that's a different discussion altogether. John three thirty six, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So there is wrath in God's character. What? Is he like Hulk kind of wrath? Now, this is a righteous indignation, anger, wrath that God has towards all sin. Now, what is sin? That's the question. What is sin? Sin is a rebellion against God. Sin is a disobedience against God. His it's not mor- missing the mark. It's missing the mark. It's not just missing it's the mark. It's not just missing the mark. <laughs> it's not just missing the mark. It's a full rebellion. It's enemy of the cross uh, against God. So, therefore, God hates sin. Right. That's the wrath of God. So, um, It makes me... When I hear wrath... Um, the wrath of God that I have feelings of, I have fairly euphoric feelings because I understand where I, where I sit on that wrath, not wrath for others. I'm not excited about that, but understanding like the line in, in Christ alone, where, where the, the PC us church, um, tried to ask if they could take out the, the wrath of God was satisfied from that song. And, 
the the Gettys who wrote it said, no, we can't do that because that destroys the whole song. Right. Because we have to understand. And what they want to say, the love of God was magnified. 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 Yeah. Instead of the wrath of God was satisfied. Right. <laughs> the wrath of God was nece- was a necessity yeah. to sin. It yeah. had to. And the only way for us to be saved from that was it to was for it to be satisfied through yeah. the death, burial, and resurrection of God Himself in the person of the Son. If there's no wrath of God, why would you the gospel? Yeah, and right. and it will be satisfied either with you or by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. It, yeah. And 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 Jesus, we say Jesus was the only. This is another argument, and it is a philosophical argument for Jesus being God. But to understand that who else other than God could have taken God's wrath? Mm. True. Who could have been an acceptable sacrifice for all of humanity and taken God's wrath? He was only God himself. I think of Revelation where uh, where we see where it was talking about the Jesus was the only one that's worthy to open the scroll. Right. We see that language in, in Revelation. Yeah, right. it, it applies to... Absolutely. And if, if, if Jesus wasn't God, then Jesus would be in hell right now because he would have taken the wrath of God, and that's ultimately the wrath. Wow, yeah, hell. that's great. So think about yeah. that. Mm. He that's, would, a, that's a good argument. Uh, because the wrath of God is eternity in hell. Yeah, Jesus is not in hell. He right. he he he's got the keys. <laughs> yeah, to he's hell. and it's not right. because God just imputed power to him at that time. Right. It's because he was God Himself. Right. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, two other categories, real quickly. One, an attribute of purpose. The other one are kind of summary attributes. We'll kind of run right through these attributes of purpose. That of will, which says not your name, will, but will. Uh, God approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and the activity of himself and all creation. I'll read that again. That God approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of himself and all creation. Uh, think of Ephesians 1.11 that says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, listen carefully, according to the counsel of his will. So, will. The second of those attributes of purpose being freedom, that God does whatever he pleases. Does that make God a, a, a loose cannon? No. It just does. It means that he has his ways are higher than our ways. God does whatever he pleases. Uh, Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And, then, and, and we can, just a quick thing. Yeah. Um, American Gospel, they, they this is sort of a rebuttal to... I forgot what the guy's name was, but basically he was saying, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. What well, the distinction we need to make is that he does whatever he wants. And we know from Scripture that he does not contradict Scripture. Yes. Right. He does um, all that, and that was the omnipotent. Yeah. Well, I keep going back to Lennon's things. He, he does, he can do anything according to his character. Yeah. And his character is bound to his will. Right. So, yeah. and his character as holiness and righteousness and justice and goodness and love. So, this doesn't make God a loose cannon. No, I mean his his will and his actions are rooted in his character. Yeah. So, a- absolutely. So, the last of those attributes of purpose being, I love this omni, his omnipotence or his all powerful nature, his sovereign nature. Can we use the word sovereignty there? Although I think sovereignty may be a bigger umbrella. Uh, personally, but it, which means that God's able to do all of His holy will, not just foreknowledge, 
but God's ability to see his knowledge, his will accomplished. He's able to do all his holy will. Consider Jeremiah 32, 17. It says, Ah, Lord God. Remember the song, Ah, Lord God. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I won't sing. Yeah. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. That is a all-powerful, omnipotent uh, God. Now, that's those are attributes of his purpose. Uh, finally, again, we're using Wayne Grudem's uh, categories here, uh, the communicable attributes of God. Is the summary attributes, kind of these are the four that kind of wrap up in one beautiful little picture. God ultimately, hopefully, will lead us to greater appreciation for God, but worship ultimately. Uh, the first one being perfection. Uh, will, what is perfection? Yeah, it is when uh, the perfection of God is when God completely possesses, or God in that God completely possesses all excellent qualities and lacks no part of any qualities. Not not any qualities, but any A-N-Y. A-N-Y, any quality qualities that would be desirable for him. Uh, example of that was found in Matthew chapter five. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right. The second one, Kelly, why don't you take that second summary act? So we're flying through them now. Cause yeah, we're, we're kind of wrapping up our. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, blessedness, God's delight. God delights fully in Himself and in all. That reflects his character. First mm. uh, Timothy one eleven, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll pause. I don't want to run too fast with these, Kelly. Uh, but what we see in the last four of these are really just a summation of is, those other is. attributes together, as we see them played out scripturally. But they're really uh, summations of that. He doesn't have Corona. Thanks have for that. You can't catch it over the podcast. You can't catch it over the podcast. Anyway, you're good, right? All right. So the third one is, this is an interesting description and attribute of God, but God's beauty. Uh, God's beauty is that the attribute of God whereby he is the sum of all desirable qualities. Uh, The sum of all desirable qualities. Psalm 27, verse 4. Again, I said this, man, the psalmist declares the attributes of God over and over and over again. This is why uh, worship is, should be God-focused, God-glorifying, because it declares the attributes of God to himself. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I would seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple the beauty of God. As soon as you said to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, it started pouring down rain. Yeah. And it makes me think of how to... One of the ways that he reveals himself to us is through this, through um, general revelation, that he, by, through nature. And to understand beauty through nature is important. Meditation is important. And I think this may sound hooey to some people, but I don't mean it this way. This is biblical. To be able to see God, especially in a world that blinds us from, with technology and looking at our phones, and I'm guilty as anybody is, constantly to be able to stand out now that now that we kind of we got a farm that we're working on and stuff personally to go out there and to stand and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord through nature through that general revelation is so important to hear the rain fall outside and yeah. understand that it's 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 him personal testimony of that go ahead will i was say it uh I loved God's timing with the rain just then. That was, yeah. that was like perfect. I know. Impeccable. Uh, and I was in uh, my first year of seminary. I, 
if you don't know my background, I went to two semesters of Southwestern Seminary and finished up in New Orleans uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Dallas-Fort Worth. If you're listening in Dallas-Fort Worth, no offense to your cities. Um, but I'm a country boy. I like wide open spaces, you know. So at the time I had a, a pickup truck, and I would get so bombarded by the noise of traffic and things that every now and then I would have to take my textbooks and go drive out south of Fort Worth to a little farm town. And I'd pull off off-road. Uh, I'd go off-road, and, and I'd go out in, in the middle of the field, park my truck, sit on the tailgate, and read. Why would I do that? It's because I need to gaze upon the glory of God. I need, to, I need to look around and see nothing but creation. The same way I love the beach. I am a beach bum. You know, I'm one of these days when I retire, I'm going to the beach. Gulf Shores, here I come one day. Um, I love sitting on the beach and just looking across the water. I could see the magnitude and the beauty of God. And I feel at that point, my, my little problems are so minuscule compared to, to that. That's the beauty of God. I also think of like when, whenever you're on a big jet airplane, um, looking down, out of the window down however many feet, 50,000 feet in the air and, uh, and just see, seeing how vast everything is. And that's not, and that's just what you can see of the earth. Yeah. It has nothing of <laughs> like, our solar system or the galaxy or the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So the, um, the next one, we got two more here is the beauty we are just we just did oh beauty. we just did beauty yeah. oh sorry yeah. yeah no so we got one more I guess uh, so yeah. the last one is the glory of God and this is we kind of cut we kind of touched on this earlier but uh, the glory of God uh, this is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of Himself yeah. and there are countless um, yeah. examples of this in Scripture but just one of them comes from Psalm twenty four uh, verse ten where it says Who is the King of glory the Lord of hosts he is the king of glory. Yeah. Let me, let me kind of uh, determine, define glory for us. There's two types of glory here. We're talking about the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God is that which surrounds uh, God himself. And then there's the glory that we ascribe to God, that we give to God, that we should live our life for, to bring him honor, to bring him glory. Uh, one surrounds his being, the other which we give to him. He rightly deserves does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so there's really two, two senses of the word glory. Now, the glory of God is coming down in the rain outside yeah, of the, the studio right now. Oh. So hopefully... I, I think... Can I, can I Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think of uh, 2 Corinthians 3.11 when it talks of, when it gives the testimony of, of, of Moses when he saw God, saw the backside of God, yeah. and what he came down in after he had seen God. Remember what it, it looked like then? said uh for uh nothing let's see moses i'm sorry i'm gonna start here so that the israelites could not look steadily at the face of moses he wore a veil uh because of the glory and transitory uh, and transitory though it was meaning it would leave will not uh this will not minister be a ministry of the spirit be will not even the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious if the ministry that was brought by condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. And if it was transitory, it came with glory. How much faster is the glory in which it, uh, which it comes and will last? So even seeing a glimpse of God in that, we're not like Moses, it says in verse 13, who would put a veil 
over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was the what was passing away. So his, the glory was fading, but that Shekinah glory of God now lives on the inside of us, and that's how we know that the Holy Spirit's God. Absolutely. That's how we know because we understand that the glory from this passage. And that's a revelation to me, by the way, because that was the one I struggled with. How's the, how, how can we prove that the Holy Spirit is God? How can we prove that the Holy Spirit's God? It's from the glory, the Shekinah glory of God that was, that was in the tabernacle and in the right. temple now dwells in us and is able to sustain that glow right. that Moses had at that time. Well, hopefully our, our conversation today has been helpful to you as our listener. Uh, again, the whole purpose here is to lead us to worship and uh, which brings me back to Isaiah 6, one last verse, talking about God's glory. And this is where the angels uh, in the throne room of God declare, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you uh, for, again, who you are. God, I pray that you are glorified in our life. Father, you are glorious. Lord, you are all the attributes that we just attempted as finite of men to describe where you were all those things and so much more what i pray that every day or that you would not let us forget your magnitude and we walk in humble submission to you lord lead us to worship lord lead us to obedience and lord, we pray that our conversation today has brought you glory and you glory alone i pray that in jesus name amen see you next time